This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. So I wrote this sermon, which basically could be summarized as what she said, 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 and what she said. So, thank you very much. Now, the only problem I have with that, gentlemen, nowhere do I get to say what he said, uh, except what Richard said. But that doesn't count, because I wasn't in the bridge. failed to live up to the challenge I said a couple of weeks ago when we had another oestrogen heavy bridge session (laughs) come on boys the gauntlet has been laid down pick up your bibles and tell us what God has been doing next week so speaking about this week this hot and sticky week um, this week we celebrated in our family Bethany's uh, wedding to Laurie on Wednesday It was an amazing day, so thank you to everyone who helped to make that happen. Now, weddings are one of those occasions where you get to see people that you don't often have a chance to meet up with, uh, certainly as often as you would like. And during the reception, Lydia said to me, aren't you sometimes surprised how little people change? And I said, actually, no, the process is the same. They just have tiny clothes. (laughs) It's a slow burner, isn't it? (laughs) And then, as, we, as we sat down for dinner, one of the, the waiters came up to me and said, would you like to hear today's special? I said, yes, please. So she said, sir, today is special. Oh. <laughs> Unlike those jokes, apparently. Really? But I'll tell you what, today is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad and sweaty in it. Now, maybe it was just the heat, but my mind went to Sweden this week because it's one of those places I would love to visit. I never have. The the closest I've managed to get so far is the Ikea in fish ponds. (laughs) But after the death of Gustavus the Great, the king of Sweden in 1632, all the chief statesmen of the country met together to decide on the future government of the country. Some said, we should become a republic. Others suggested that the vacant throne should be offered to the king of Poland. But in the midst of all their deliberations, suddenly the chancellor arose and said, let's have no more talk about republics, let's have no more talk about Polish kings. For the great Gustavus, he left us an heir, he has a daughter, she's six years old. Now this was not something that was generally known, her existence was kept a secret from most people for her own protection. Well, how do we know this isn't a trick of yours, one of them said. We've never seen this child. We didn't even know that Gustavus had one. 
Well, wait there for a minute, reply the Chancellor, I will go and get her. And he returned with the little girl and he put her upon the throne where only the rulers of Sweden were allowed to sit. And that statesman who had expressed his disbelief, he came close and he looked intently upon her face. Then turning to this assembly, he said, Comrades, I can see in the child the features of the great King Gustavus. Look at her nose, look at her eyes, look at her chinny-chin-chin. She is indeed the daughter of our king. And this was enough. Young as she was, she was acclaimed Christina, Queen of Sweden. Now, we are all created in the image of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. We have the same father, making us brothers and sisters with Jesus. But I wonder how often, when people look at us, do they see a family resemblance? A story is told of the missionary E. Stanley Jones. He worked in India. He met Mahatma Gandhi. And he asked him, what would make Christianity more appealing and acceptable in India? And Gandhi replied, well, I would suggest, first of all, that all of you Christians begin to act a bit more like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we study your word today, open our ears to hear what you are saying to your church. Humble our hearts to be teachable and receptive to your Holy Spirit and delighted that the creator of the universe sees us and knows us and loves us. May that spur us on towards holy living in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to episode 126 in our series, The Promise and the Purpose, exploring the gospel written by Dr. Luke. And today's short scripture is a culmination of several teaching moments made by Jesus since he arrived in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, way before the beginning of of the summer break that happened. And you remember he drove out the money changers who were there in the temple courts and all the unscrupulous business people that gathered around them. At the end of Luke chapter 19, it says this, And Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all those who sold, saying, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. And then Luke goes on and records in chapter 20 several encounters, run-ins, debates that Jesus had with the religious establishment. Those professional ministers who worked in the temple, those religious scholars, they, they questioned where Jesus' authority came from for him to speak to them in the way that he does. They tried to trap him in controversial questions about paying taxes to Caesar or not. They tried to trick him with made-up scenarios about who you'd be married to in heaven if you, if you remarried while you were on earth. Jesus challenged them with their own understanding of Scripture, as Sue explained last week. How could the Messiah be both King David's descendants and King David's Lord? And finally today, Jesus, in his characteristic style, doesn't hold back at all, and he says what he means to the crowd gathered around him in the temple court. Luke 20, verse 45 says, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in their long robes, and they love those greetings in the marketplace, and the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honour at the feasts. They 
devour widows' houses, and for pretense they make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. So to understand the, the purpose in Jesus' words in today's passage, I think we need to see it as actually part five in a series of teachings that he's been made that are all part of this same prophetic image that started with the cleansing of the temple, the clearing out of the temple. This section of Luke's gospel starts with Jesus cleansing the temple, then there are these five encounters or teaching moments where Jesus challenges the spiritual lives or the religion of those who are listening to him, usually using the scribes and the Pharisees as an illustration of what not to do. Today, what I want to do is just walk us back through, quickly, those five teachable moments and apply them to ourselves and our faith walk with Jesus. Paul, the apostle, writes in the letter to the Corinthian church, he says, don't you realise that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourselves. So today we're going to have a a spa day, if you like, an internal cleansing out of our own temples in the same way that Jesus challenged all of those who were gathered around him. Now, what are those, those lies, those traps, those distorted views of God and yourself that cause us to, to drift away from God, to live a life less than what God has purposed and planned for us? So I'll take you through them all. And they've all got very spiritual titles and wordings, you'll notice. Line number one, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> In Luke 20, verse 2, the Pharisees demanded of Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right? And most of us, most of the time, I would say, do not like to be told what to do. We don't like to be told that we're getting it wrong. We don't like other people pointing out our mistakes and our missteps. And whether it comes out of our mouth or we manage to keep it in, our human flesh nature will rebel. We have this rebellious urge to reply, you're not the boss of me, you can't tell me what to do, who gave you the right? Well, in our society we can see that that right to talk to us can come from many places and situations a parent speaking to their child, a boss speaking to their employees, a coach speaking to their team, a pastor even, God forfend, speaking to their congregation, a police officer speaking to a member of the public or just a friend speaking to a friend. When Jesus spoke, he had a unique authority that came from his Father in heaven. And actually, our authority to speak to one another comes both from the relationships that God has put us into, but primarily, I think it comes from the authority of Scripture. Because when we remind each other what Scripture says about a situation, it's speaking on its own authority, regardless of how well the person passing on the message manages to follow those teaching themselves. For example, the Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your wife. Uh, that will ruin your life. <laughs> Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, that command of Scripture is true, whether the person passing on is a teetotal miracle-working missionary or a drunk lying in the gutter 
or your mum. So the first attitude I think that we need to have to cleansing our own temple is this instinctive, rebellious response to reject what other people tell us to do and instead recognise when they're speaking that Bible truth and listen to the message, not the messenger. Yeah? Ephesians 5 says, further submit to one another out of our reverence to Christ. So according to the Bible, we're all the boss of each other already. Or more accurately, we've chosen to appoint each other as the boss of over me. We've submitted to one another. Line number one, you're not the boss of me. Line number two, Saturday night's all right for fighting. (laughs) To quote Elton John, Saturday night's all right for fighting. Hey, listen, Paul said use all means available, right, to share the gospel. So line number two is Saturday night's all right for fighting, Sunday morning's all right for church. In other words, we compartmentalise our life to God's bit and our bit. Party night, church morning. People might be able to tell that you're a Christian when they see you in church. They might. Some of us have got some work to do, maybe. (laughs) But can people tell that you're a Christian when they see you down the pub? Can people tell you're a Christian when they see you at that after-school party? Can people tell that you're a Christian when they see you on the football pitch? Or on the sidelines of the football pitch? (laughs) Can people tell you're a Christian when they see you at work? The Pharisees tried to trick Jesus into picking sides between obeying God and obeying the rules of Rome. They said in Luke 20, tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, he exposes their false worldview that you have to choose between being loyal to church or being loyal to state. In other words, that you divide the world into the secular and the sacred and never the twain are going to meet. Jesus says it's not either or, it's both and. Jesus said, Luke 20, 25, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And for us, we must not compartmentalise our lives into God's bit and not God's bit. Right? We should live as Bible-believing Jesus followers five days a week, six, seven days a week, <laughs> wherever we go, whoever we are with. Yeah? Line number one, you're not the boss of me. Line number two, Saturday night's all right for fighting. Line number three, Fridge magnets are Bible truth. (laughs) Have you heard some of these before? God helps those who help themselves. God works in mysterious ways. God will never give you more than you can handle. Money is the root of all evil. Pride comes before a fall. This too shall pass. Live long and prosper. (laughs) None of those are in the Bible. And Jesus, he takes the temple scribes to task for their own misquoting and not understanding of Scripture when they tried to trap him into taking sides into this debate that they had about whether or not there was going to be a resurrection of the dead. That was the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees said there would be no resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees believed that there would be. And in order to try and catch Jesus into picking sides in their fight, 
they pose this hypothetical scenario about a poor lady who was widowed and each of seven brothers took it in turns to marry her and then died. I'm not sure if that's the plot of an Agatha Christie movie or a West End musical. Seven husbands for one bride, I don't know. But the scribes wanted to know from Jesus, who would this poor lady be married to when she finally got to heaven? And Jesus' reply, from when it's recounted in Matthew's Gospels, is a bit more of a fuller response. Jesus said, your mistake is that you don't know scriptures and you don't know the power of God. And he then goes on to, to demonstrate by a type of argument that, that we might not recognise but was very familiar to the way that the, the Jews debated with each other and rabbis taught. And he said the, the resurrection was clearly implied by the words of Scripture that they were claiming to have read and studied. So you, you can't live according to the promises of God if you don't know what they are. You just make up your own promises and hope they're true. And you can't spot the lies and tricks of the devil if you don't know what the truth is to contrast them with. And the only way to know what God says about a given situation is to read what he has to say about it in the Bible for yourself, like she said. So that's lie number three. Fridge magnets are biblical truth. Don't base your life upon them. Instead, read the Bible. Lie number four. You don't have to work at it. Or to give you the full lie, because I can do all things through Christ, I don't have to work at being a Christian. It's a powerful lie, because it leaves Christians unprepared, impotent, and lazy, which is just how the devil likes us. And it works because it's misquoting and misusing Scripture. Now listen, there are some things that are true. We are saved by grace. It is a gift, not a reward for hard work, right? Ephesians 2 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you have done, so none of us can boast about it. But it's not true to say that just because we did not have to work to get into heaven, we also don't need to work at any other aspect of our Christian faith. Clearly, it would be foolish for me to turn up on a Sunday morning and say, I can do all things through Christ, and so, Gareth has wisely turned it off. <laughs> but I'm going to lead us in worship, because I've got faith. I can do all things, right? Clearly, that's crazy. To imagine that I could lead worship just because I wanted to, but couldn't be bothered to put the work in. No, learning the piano is hard work. Just ask Michelle. But her lessons will make it much easier. Yeah. <laughs> Friends and family rates are available. <laughs> so understanding what the Bible says and how to apply its ancient metaphors to 21st century Christianity takes work. As Jesus said in the Amplified uh, translation of the Bible. In Mark 4, he said, Be careful what you are hearing, talking about people teaching Scripture. The measure of thought and study that you give to the truth that you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides. In other words, the more that you work at Bible study, the more that you'll understand the Bible. <laughs> Shocking truth. Who'd have thunk it? Last week, 
Sue explored the incident where Jesus turned the tables on the scribes and the Pharisees, and he asked them to explain how their scripture could say that the Messiah would be both King David's descendant and King David's Lord. The scribes knew what the scripture said, but they didn't understand what it meant. The Bible doesn't record that they answered Jesus. And that's a dangerous place to be, to know what the Bible says, but not what it means. Because you're then vulnerable to someone coming along and telling you what they think it means, and you've got no understanding of your own to fall back on. So to recap our four lives so far, number one, you're not the boss of me. Number two, Saturday night's all right for fighting. Sunday night's, Sunday morning's all right for God. Fridge magnets are biblical truth, and you don't have to work at it. Which brings us to the fifth and final lie, that Jesus wants us to cleanse out of our temples. Cleanse out of our worldview, our attitudes, the way that we live, the way that we behave, and it's this. God is fooled by all your pious pretending. See, in today's scripture, Jesus denounces the kind of religion which is all about outward show and is more motivated by what other people are going to think about you and how they're going to treat you as a result. Now, the religious elite of Jesus' day, they enjoyed a very high social status. You could recognise them from the way that they dressed in their fine robes. And they enjoyed it when the sinning masses deferred to them in the marketplace and made room. Jesus denounces this behaviour. Speaking to the crowd and all around him in the temple courtyard, he said loud enough for everyone to hear. And in the hearing of all the people and his disciples, he says, beware the scribes who walk around in their long robes. And they love the greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogue and the place of honours at feasts. They devour widows' houses and for a pretense they make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Listen, you might be able to fool your family. You might be able to fool your friends that you are living a Christian life. You might be able to fool people at church that you have it all together and you float along on a cloud listening to angel harps all day long. But as it's recorded in the book of 1 Samuel, the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God is not fooled by our pretending, and he can see right through the show. The religious leaders, they were guilty of more than just putting on a show. They were abusing their station in society to devour widows' houses, as Jesus said, which I think means they're exploiting vulnerable people to take their money. And Jesus says that they will receive a greater condemnation as a result. That should be enough to send shivers through any church leader who ever tries to manipulate people to raise money. Now, the easiest way to, to check the heart of someone who's trying to raise money for their ministry, this is what I always say. Now, some, many uh, kind of televangelists and stuff will, will say, you know, when you pay your tithe, God will bless you. Well, how can you check the heart? Do they still think that's true if you pay your tithe to your own church rather than to their ministry? So one thing I love about Joseph Prince, actually, if you notice at the end of his TV shows, he says, we believe that your tithe belongs to your local church, but feel free to make a gift to our ministry if you want to. That's the right way to do it, isn't it? Anyway, so these are the five kinds of lies that Jesus was addressing. After he cleansed the temple... 
He was teaching his followers, the crowd, that this is how I want you to live. Don't follow these bad examples of the people who are supposed to be shepherding Israel for the last couple of thousand years. Right? This is how I want you guys to live. And for us today, who our bodies are called temples of the Holy Spirit, it would be wise to examine ourselves to make sure that our temple is not being defiled by these lies. Instead of thinking, you're not the boss of me, instead be prepared to accept the truth of Scripture that challenges our thoughts and behaviours. Instead of thinking that Saturday night's all right for fighting and Sunday's all right for God, try to live like a Christian seven days a week. Instead of believing that those fridge magnets are all biblical truths, pick up your Bible and see what it says. Get to know Jesus by reading the words that he spoke. Instead of thinking that you don't have to work at it, recognise that Jesus said, narrow is the way and difficult is the path that leads to life. We only put effort into the things that we value. So how much do you value your relationship with Jesus? And finally, stop misleading yourself into things that God is fooled by all your pious pretending. He can see right through your act, he can see right through my act, and he is not impressed. How we live matters. Because we are Jesus' witnesses. People judge God by the way that they see his church behaving. And I shudder to think how many people are destined for hell because they looked at the Christians in the local church and thought, good grief, who in their right mind would want to spend time with those people? I read a story this week about a youth group. They're having a Bible study. They'd be discussing the text, you are the salt of the earth. One suggestion after another was made as to what the meaning of salt was in this verse. Salt imparts a desirable flavour, says one. Salt preserves from decay, says another. And then a young Chinese Christian girl spoke out of an experience that none of the others had. She said, salt creates thirst. And there was a hush in the room. Everyone was thinking, have I ever made someone else thirsty for Jesus? So as the band comes up for our closing act of worship, let's pray. Lord Jesus, cleanse us, your temples, today of all the wrong attitudes that we have held about you and about ourselves. Set us free right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, we repent of the lies that we have believed and embraced. We repent of our rebellious attitudes. We repent that we have compartmentalised our life and given you some, but not all of it. We repent that we've not picked up our Bible to get to know you. We repent that we have not bothered to try and been lazy in our faith. And we repent for all the times that we have acted out of a desire to impress other people or build our ego and self-worth rather than to serve and worship you. As the writer of the Hebrews said, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiated and perfects our faith. And God's people said it like they meant it. Amen. Amen.